Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Grab that chair for me. There we go. Uh, dude, I don't know about this. It'll be fine. Just saying. Hun, the faucet broke. I got this. What? See, I told you it'd be fine. Just saying. All right, you ready to go? Yeah, let's do this. Yeah. Do you need some lighter fluid or anything? No, man, I got this. Good morning, 11 a.m. It is great to be here with you guys this morning. My name is Josh. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited uh, for this morning, you guys. Um, if you're a guest of ours, I just want to say welcome. Thanks for coming and kind of being part of our community, being part of our family this morning. I um, also want to welcome everybody kind of tuning in on Facebook Live. Um, it's great to have you guys. You know that we have like thousands of people that tune in, even if it's just for a little piece every week for these sermons. It's amazing just to see how God has used something like Facebook to continue to kind of advance his kingdom and just the testimonies that we get from that too. And so I just want to say welcome um, on Facebook Live. And like we have one other cool thing is we have missionaries uh, from ACF Church that are actually over in Czech. So Brent and Liz, love you guys. Hi. Can we give them a huge hand this morning? Love you guys. They are tuning in right now from Czech. So we've been in a series called Just Saying, and we've been walking through the book of 1 John this summer. And this morning, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 John chapter 3. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the seat. You can grab that, pull it out. Um, it'll also be on the screen behind me. And if you'd like, you also can download our ACF app, which will have all of our notes and the Bible on it. So... However you'd like to read along with us this morning. But we've been, we've been walking through the book of 1 John. And this, this letter that John is writing to multiple churches, um, he, he's super direct with this letter. Which is why we're calling this series Just Saying. And, and what's been going on is in, in the church, in, in this realm, this area of churches, there's been people that have been teaching something other than the gospel. And John calls them false teachers. And what's been happening is there's been people that have been in the church and they've been teaching, like, look, it really doesn't matter what you do with your life. It really doesn't matter what you do with your body. All that matters is do you have knowledge, right? It's about a knowledge that kind of enlightens you, that transcends a knowledge about God. If you have knowledge about God, that's all you need. And in fact, Jesus' uh, sacrifice that he made on the cross, while that's great, it really didn't accomplish much because 
like our bodies don't really sin. It's just flesh, and flesh doesn't matter. That, that's what these false teachers were teaching. And so you have these huge populations and groups of people in the church that were going, oh, okay, like, so it doesn't matter what really I think. It doesn't matter how I act. And, and these things that I've been working so hard of to get rid of in my life, I can actually just kind of indulge in and, and, and go with because what I do doesn't matter. Sin doesn't really matter. It's just, do I have enough knowledge of God, you know, to get into heaven? And so John writes this letter, and it's a very straightforward, poignant, to-the-point letter. And so we've been walking through this, walking through this this summer. And so um, before we dive in, I want to ask you, have you ever purchased something and then you know, you kind of watched the commercial, you saw it, and you're like, this is going to be it. This is going to be awesome. This is what I need. And you get it, and you're like, it doesn't look like the commercial, right? Like, this hamburger does not look like the hamburger that I was sold on the commercial, right? Anybody ever experienced that? You bought something, and then you get it, and you're like, eh, bum, 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 like disappointed, right? Um, I, I'll never forget, a couple of years ago, my son, it, it was the Christmas season, and my son, Cyrus, um, we're like, hey, Cyrus, what do you want for Christmas? And he's like, Ske- sketch airs. I'm like, okay, what else? That's it. Just get me sketch airs, Dad. That's all I want. I'm like, why does my seven-year-old son want nothing but a stupid pair of shoes? And that, that, I mean, that was it. A couple days later, hey, Cyrus, did you get your Christmas list done? Yep. Sketch airs. Done. That's it. That's all I want. I'm like, I- I'm confused. I don't get it. And then one day, he's at home. He's watching TV. And I hear, Dad, 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 come here, come here, come here, come here. These are the shoes that I want. And there's a commercial for these sketch airs. And in the commercial, it shows kids like jumping over their house, right? Like this, these two kids are playing basketball and they're like seven years old. And this kid's like flying through the air and dunking the ball. And like at the end of the commercial, like these kids are all talking in their neighborhood and they like jump up into the sky and they're in the clouds high-fiving each other. And, and Cyrus's eyes are like this big. And I'm like, oh no, we got a problem. Like Christmas is going to come and either A, he's not going to get the shoes and he's going to be really disappointed, or B, he's going to get the shoes and be even more disappointed. So I'm like, what do we do? And so I, I had this idea. I was like, okay, let's go down to the shoe store and let him try them on before Christmas. So we go down to Muldoon and go to the shoe store and I'm like, Cyrus, we need to know what size your shoe is, what size your feet are, so maybe you should try these Sketch Airs on. And he's just like, are you serious? This is the greatest day of my life. I get to try these shoes on. And, he, and, and I'll, I'll never forget this. Legitimately, this is what he does. He takes the shoes out. He's putting them on, and he, he's kind of looking up at the ceiling. And he looks at me and goes, I hope I don't hit my head, Dad. I'm like, buddy, I hope you don't hit your head also. Gets the shoes on, and he's like walking. Like, he doesn't know how these things work. Like, how sensitive are they, right? Are they going to send them sailing into the ceiling? And, and, and he kind of like does this jump nothing, okay, like maybe you try it a little harder, and he jumps a little bit harder, and nothing, and he's kind of looking, are you sure these are the same shoes? I'm sure, buddy, these are the same shoes. I was like, maybe you should try running around in the aisles. Maybe, maybe you got to run, and they'll make you faster. So he's running up and down the aisles, and he's done with the shoes, and I'm like, so what do you think, bud? You want this for Christmas? Yeah, yeah, I want it for Christmas, but maybe there's some other things I want, too. I'm like, I think so, right? <laughs> And he's like, they, they do make me jump a little bit higher. I'm like, of course they do, buddy. And I, did, I was running a little faster with him. I said, yeah, you were a little bit. But he was sold something that turned out not to be reality. 
right? And that's what was going on in the church. And that's why John writes his letters, because the church is being sold something that is not reality. And that is that your faith, your faith in God is all about what do you know, and do you know enough? And do you have enough correct theology, and do you have a, a, a robust doctrine, enough of it to get into heaven? And now, I'm not saying these things aren't important, but what I'm saying is these false teachers were teaching, that is it. That is it. And so what you had happening was a group of people that were going back to their old ways of living, their old sinful lifestyle, because it didn't matter. And so what John is trying to teach the church, and, and the point of these letters are this, the point of these letters are, look, there is one supreme ethic when it comes to the Christian life. There's one supreme ethic that is above all, and that ethic is this, it is the ethic of love. It is the ethic of love. And do you have love in your life? Because if you have said yes to Jesus, if your life has been transformed, that you will have love in your life. And in John chapter 3, he really dives into three areas that we can know if we have love in our lives and what it looks like lived out. And so I want to talk about these three areas this morning. So the first thing that John talks about is evidence. And the evidence of love is life. The evidence of love is life. And he writes this in John chapter 3, starting in verse, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Again, John gets real straightforward here. He says, look, you want to know if you've passed out of death into life? Do you want to know if you have life in your soul? You love the brothers. You love the church. You love the body of Christ. That is how you know. And if you don't, you abide in death. John's real, real plain right here, super straightforward. Look, you're either abiding in life or you're abiding in death. How do you know? You love the church. You love the brothers. That's how you know. And th there, there's no middle ground. See, we it would be not nicer, it would be a lot easier. I wish sometimes John would have written it more like this. We know that we pass out of death into life because we love most of the brothers. That would be easier for us, right? Because we love most of the brothers. So we, what we want is a middle ground. What we want is, well, there's life, there's death, and then there's this area where it's like, it's, you know, it's, it's a nice place to hang out, where you're in between life and death. That's not what John paints right here. That's not what he says. He says, look, you have life or you have death. And how do you know? Do you love the brothers? And, and, and in fact, in the very next verse, the very next part that John writes is he writes this. He says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, John, tell me how you really feel, huh? Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer? This is heavy stuff. This, this letter that John's writing, he's, he's not messing around because he's seeing people that are believing a lie and he's, he's tired of it. And he's like, no, we cannot believe this lie. If you hate your brother, you are a murderer. And no doubt, John is recanting and recalling a message that he sat at the feet of Jesus and heard him preach himself as he's penning this. And we look at Matthew chapter 5. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus says, look, you have heard 
that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. You see, Jesus was teaching, look, the old law forbid murder, but this new law, this new way that Jesus is bringing who fulfilled the old law, Jesus says, no, no, it's more, it's more than just don't murder. It's hating is murder. And, and no doubt John is recanting this and recalling this message that he got from Jesus when he writes, look, if you hate your brother, you're liable of murder. You see, and when John is writing this, he's actually being very specific. He's he's trying to tackle a specific issue that was happening in the church at the time. He's trying to to kill something that was starting to breed and and, and arise in the church of that day. Because remember, like I said, this, this new kind of thing that was being taught by these false teachers were, look, it doesn't matter what you do with your life, it just matters what you know, and are you enlightened? And so what was happening is people were going back to their old ways of life. And so what you had happening were Jews who had said yes to Jesus. These Jews were ethnically hating non-Jews. They were hating non-Jews. There was racism in the church back then. You see, what was happening is you had these Jews that were saying yes to Jesus, and they were understanding and seeing Jesus as the fulfilled promise of all the prophecies, and they're saying, yeah, I just want to submit to that. But then all of a sudden you have the church doors open, this family is now open to everybody? It's now open to non-Jews? That was never, the promise was always for the Jews, but now you have Romans who, who are allowed to come in, and, and even though there are oppressors, and, and like, look, they never kept the Sabbath day holy, and I've spent my entire life keeping the Sabbath day holy. Now these people get to be invited into this family? Well, you got the Greeks who, who, who've never, like, honored Passover or any of our holy calendar or anything like that, and they, they get invited in? What? How? No. No, no. Don't even tell me we have to invite the Samaritans into our church. The Samaritans? The, the half-breeds? Right? The, the not really fully humans? They have to be invited? Like, they're part of my family now? Right? Remember, you had these Jews that were going, no, 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 no. I had to be circumcised. You have to be circumcised. And like Paul even has to address this with the Jews saying, stop telling everybody to be circumcised who are not Jews. And every non-Jew is like, amen. Thank you. But you had this, this kind of ethnic battle happening and this racism happening in the church. Because all of a sudden the, the, the body of Christ is open to everybody. This family is now a family that's all-inclusive and not just exclusive. So when John says, look, you want to know if you passed out of death into life, you know it by do you love your brother, this is what he's talking about. Do you love your brother or do you hate him? You see, it, it was an issue that, that was just starting to spread through the church. Hatred, but Again, they didn't think it mattered anymore. And John's going, no, 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 no. The evidence is that you love. You love the body of Christ. You love your brothers. Do you love the brothers? 
And you might be here this morning, and just as I was when I was reading this, going, I don't hate. I don't hate. I don't hate anybody. You might be sitting here this morning like, I don't have hate in my heart for, for any particular person or any particular you know, race or anything. I don't have hate, but okay, that's fine. But let me ask you something. Do you find yourself just tolerating other people? Do you find yourself just tolerating other kinds of people than you? Because let me tell you that tolerating people and loving people are two very different things. You see, I, I've been happily married for 15 years, and in my marriage, the moment I find myself tolerating my wife is the moment my marriage is over. And I don't mean like tolerating maybe an attitude or tolerating a behavior as we work through and struggle through things, but tolerating her as a person and who she is, well, that is the end of our marriage. And I think so often in our church, uh, not just ACF, but in the church of, of Jesus, in the, in the kingdom of God, we've gotten to a place where we go, I'll tolerate anybody. But John's saying, no, the evidence is do you love them? Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Again, right after Jesus says, look, to, 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 to hate is to murder, Jesus says this. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Even the pagans do that. Jesus is going, look, everybody will greet their own. But in the kingdom of God, we greet everybody. And it's interesting, I found this commentary that said this, I love this. In, in their culture, the act of greeting is a concrete expression of the fact that the other person has significance for the one doing the greeting. Those who are not greeted are excluded from significance. And so what Jesus is saying is like, look, are you willing to greet anybody? Are you willing to let people see that they have significance to you in your life? That they have significance in the kingdom of God? Or are you just tolerating people? And, and, and as, I, as I was reading this, and I'm going through this, and I'm studying this, I'm like, what pops into my head, which may be popping into your head, is this idea, like, well, I don't hate people, I'm not a racist. I'm not a racist, I don't hate. Okay? Again, I get that, and I, and I believe that to a degree even in my own life, but then I go, man, but, but do I find myself, or do you find yourself saying things like this? Well, I'm not a racist, but I sure wish they would stop complaining all the time, right? I'm not a racist, but I sure wish they would stop talking about privilege, right? I'm not a racist, but I wish people would stop making a big deal out of everything, right? Because th this is what was going on then. And this is what is going on today. So much in the church is division over these things. And, and John is writing, and he's like, stop, you guys. Like, the evidence that you've passed into death into life is that you love each other. That the Jews love the Samaritans, and that the Samaritans love the Jews. And, and, and as, as true as it was then, it's true for us today that we have to really face this and look in the mirror and go, man, am I loving people or am I tolerating people? Because I don't know about you, but things in my life personally that I tolerate, I will eventually hate, right? That, that 
noise that the car is making. I just ignore it. I tolerate it. And then it's like, oh, I hate this. Right? That behavior out of my kids, it's like, I don't want to deal with this. I'll just tolerate this. And then all of a sudden, I hate this behavior out of my kids. Like, when we tolerate things, we can only tolerate it for so long. And so, again, John is addressing this issue. And look, I'm not saying that if you've ever had a thought like this pop into your head, that, oh, you're a hater and you're a murderer. Look, some of us need to seriously, like, deconstruct our, our, our upbringing. Some of us need to deconstruct the environments that we were brought up in. And, I, and, and maybe we have a knee-jerk reaction that is more along the lines of tolerance or even hate. Right? But, but what do you do with it from there? Is this a battle? Is this something where you're going, you know what, this is my initial thought. Like, I'm walking down the sidewalk and now it's like, ah, I'm going I'm to walk over here. We're just a little bit safer looking because some people are over there and I feel uncomfortable with that. That might be a knee-jerk reaction for you, but then do you go, no, no, I'm going to put on the mind of Christ. I'm going I'm to learn to love, that I'm going to choose to fight against my knee-jerk reaction, and I'm going to put on the mind of Christ, and I'm going I'm to learn to love my brothers and my sisters, right? So I'm not saying, like, man, if this is a battle that goes on in our hearts, and I do believe it's a battle that goes on in all of us to some degree or another, like, the fact that we battle with it is, is one thing, but the fact that we go, nope, this is the way it is, this is who I am, this is the way it's going to be, this is what I believe, well, now I would say, man, is, do you have love in your life then? And that's what John is talking about. See, there's, there's us, and when we say yes to Jesus, Scripture actually says that we're given a new heart. And then our, our bodies, our flesh, like, has to catch up to this heart that is perfect before God. And that process is called sanctification, that we would grow in sanctification, that every day we're working on being more like Christ. And that's a process. And that's going to be a process our entire lives. But are you allowing that process to grow you? Are you even in the process or do you go, you know what, this is the way it is. And, and the truth of the matter is, you guys, look, I'm not trying to be political. And it's, it's unfortunate that when we talk about loving our brothers, it becomes a political issue. But I'm not trying to be political, I'm trying to be biblical. And this is an idea, this is what is taught so evidently in scripture, that we would love our brothers, not tolerate our brothers and sisters, but to actually love them. And so the question is, how do we do this? What does this look like? You see, the evidence of love is life. Okay, if that is true, then the essence of love is sacrifice. The essence of love, the vehicle of love, what love actually looks like lived out practically in our lives. The essence of love is self-sacrifice. And John explains this. He goes right into this. In chapter 3, verses 16, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Right, so John goes, look, love your brother. Okay, he's been talking about love this entire time, this entire letter. It's about love. He's trying to get us to understand the ethic of the Christian life is love. It's not just knowledge. And he goes, and then he dives in it in verse 16. He says, and this is what love is. 
first of all, that even the way that you can know what love is. It is not what the world's selling. It is not what culture is selling. This is how we know what love is. Love is that Jesus laid down his life for us. This is love, that Jesus laid down his life for us. Now, good news, go and do the same thing. Go and do the same thing. And, and is, like, you kind of read that and you're like, oh, he's talking metaphorically. Nope. He means go and die. Go and die. Go and die for your brothers. That you would have that, that willingness that, yes, I would die for my brother. I would die for my sister. And as John's writing to them, that's a real reality for them. That's a real reality for the people that are reading this letter. That they would die for their faith, that they would die for their brother or for their sister. And so when John's writing this, he's like, not that you would like, hey, have this idea, like, hey, here's a good idea, but no, that you'd be willing to do this. But I will say this, at the same time, as John is writing this, he understands too, well, look, not everyone's going to die for their faith. And we live in a culture where that doesn't happen very often. So what does that mean? Are we able to follow Jesus if we don't die for somebody else? Yes, yes we are, because John continues this verse, what he says. Again, he says, look, this is love. Love is that Jesus died for you. You should be willing to die for your brother. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? I love this, this, uh, it's a little bit of a long quote, but... um, talking about this idea of dying for your brother and then having the means to be able to help them. And it says this, There were an occasion in the life of the early church, as there are certain tragic occasions in present day, for quite a literal obedience to this precept, that is laying your life down for your brother. But not all life is tragic. And yet, the same principle of conduct must apply throughout all of our lives. Thus, it may, be, it may call for the simple expenditure of money that we may have spent on ourselves to relieve the need of someone poor. It is, after all, the same principle of action, though at a much lower level of intensity. It is the willingness to surrender that which has value for our own life to enrich the life of another. If such a minimum response to the law of charity called for by such an everyday situation is absent, then it is idle to pretend that we are within the family of God, the realm in which love is the operative as well as the principle and the token of eternal life. In other words, what he's saying is like, look, Jesus laid down his life for us. We should lay down our lives for other people. But if that doesn't happen, that that true principle still has to be true in our lives every day. And it is that we would be willing to sacrifice that which is valuable to us. See, this is love. Love is sacrifice. Right? That is what love is. That is what Jesus taught us. Love is sacrifice. And to love our brothers is to sacrifice for our brothers. Right? But, but if you are sacrificing for me, and I am sacrificing for you, well, then we both win. I, I deal with a lot of uh, newlywed couples who want to go through some, uh, you know, marriage counseling or premarital stuff, and, and one of the first things I always say to them when they're, in, when they're in my office is, look, 
Husband, you need to be willing to die and lay down your, your life for your wife. To lay down your needs and desires for her. And wife, you are to lay down your life for your husband. To lay down your needs and desires for him. And if you're both doing that, everybody wins. But the problem is, we're people. The problem is, we're selfish. But it's learning to combat that. And that's what John is talking about here. He says, look, don't close your heart to the needs of the world. Like, you may not have the opportunity to die physically, but every day we have the opportunity to die to our own desires, to die in, with something that would enrich our lives to take care of somebody else. You see, but the thing is, is we are incredibly selfish people. You see, what does this look like lived out? I love what John Piper says. John Piper says, deeds, 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 deeds. Deeds, deeds, deeds. That you would do things for other people. Actually do them. Not one of those like, hey, I'll pray for you. Hey, you know, I hope, hope it works out. But that you would do something about it. You see, deeds are actions. They are not the price of forgiveness. A lot of people get this confused. Like, I got to do enough good deeds to earn, you know, salvation, to earn forgiveness. Deeds are not the price of of forgiveness, but deeds are the result of forgiveness. Deeds are the result of salvation. That's, that's what James is talking about through his entire book. He's like, look, you're saying you're saved, you're saying you have faith, but you're not doing anything about it. I'll show you my faith by what I do. And if your heart's been transformed, and if you've passed out of death into life, then uh, the next essence of that, the driving force of that, is, the, is a desire and a willingness to actually do things for those in need, but we're, we're, we're incredibly selfish, right, and, and we live in, in, in a culture of individualism, like it's just about you, you fight for what you need, You're, you fight for what's best for you, you fight for whatever makes you happy, and if it's making you happy, well then that's good, and that's good, but that is the very opposite of what we're learning today and what John is teaching us in this book and throughout this entire Bible, is that, you know, if it makes you happy, it's okay. But we get this idea of individualism and my rights and my way and my happiness. And then when we do that, we start shutting our hearts to those who are truly in need. We start shutting our hearts to the world around us. Again, it goes back to saying things like, well, why should I sacrifice for them? Right? They're the ones who made stupid decisions to get themselves where they're at. They're the ones who are on drugs. They're the ones who are, you know, alcoholics. They're the ones who, you know, if they would have handled their money better, I wouldn't have to do this. If they would have, you know, just stayed away from this and not made stupid choices, then, you know, they're, they're laying in the bed that they've made. Right? They're living out their choices. That's on them. Why do I have to help with this? That's what this sounds like. We say things like, well, why do we need to help people from other countries? Why do we have to allow them to come flooding into our place, right? Like, their country should help them. Like, why do we need to do that? Like, if, if they weren't all screwed up, then, then we wouldn't be in this situation. And why do we have to receive people and help them? Again, I'm not making this a political issue. And do I believe that there needs to be things in order to do this well? Absolutely. But to close our heart to people in need... John's like, God's love doesn't reside in your heart if you're closing it to people's need. But one of the quickest ways that we will close our hearts to the needs of others is through individualism, through our own personal opinions. I, I love this quote um, 
by Pastor Judah Smith out of Seattle. He's pastor of Home Church, and he says this, we reserve the right to ignore empathy and compassion and mercy for convenience and our personal opinion. We reserve the right to ignore empathy, to ignore compassion, to ignore mercy for convenience and our own personal opinion. Like, my opinion's right, and so I'm just going to go by that. But that so often, in my life at least, my opinion oftentimes can go against what the Word of God says. But it's convenience. We live our lives out of convenience. I make my choices out of the, the truth of convenience. Ah, it's not convenient for me to sacrifice. Just so you know, a little secret, sacrifice is never convenient. It's ne- if it's convenient for you, it's not really a sacrifice. Right? Because we can, we can like give things away, and we can give money away, we give stuff away, and it doesn't really, like, eh, yeah, I didn't really need that anyways. Right? Eh, well, here you go. Wasn't really using it. That's great. That's, that's, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but don't think of that as sacrifice. Because that's not sacrifice. Sacrifice always costs. And if it's not costing, and if you're finding it fairly convenient, it's not sacrifice. And John's saying, look, to love is to sacrifice. To love is to sacrifice. And look, I am not saying this either. I'm not saying, like, look, every homeless person, every person you drive on the street asking for money, you got to stop or you're, you're not part of the kingdom of God. You close your heart. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, we even read uh, a time in Jesus' life where someone came and they, they broke a very expensive perfume bottle and they were covering Jesus' feet with it and the disciples were all upset and they're like, oh, we could have sold that for the poor. Now, I don't think they were really caring about the poor in the scripture, but Jesus addresses what they say with like, look, we're always going to have the poor. Like, we're, we're, it's not like the world will always have the poor because there's, there's sin and there's brokenness in this world. And until the, Jesus comes back and, and the kingdom of God comes in full, we're going to have the poor. And so I'm not saying, like, look, every single time, if you see someone, you better stop or you're closing your heart. But I think at the, in the same breath, there are many times where we allow people in need to become part of the scenery. Right? They become part of, like, oh, that's just them asking for money again. That's just them, right? And, and, and we don't give them value. We don't greet them. As Jesus says, we, don't, we see them as different. We tolerate them as part of our community. And that is closing your heart. And again, we all do this to a degree. We all have struggled with this, I believe. And, and honestly, standing here as, as a pastor of this church, I gotta say, I've closed my heart before. I gotta say, I've tolerated people before. I gotta say, I've hated people before and have had murder in my heart. I got to ask for forgiveness for that. And I, I want to be helping lead the way in this, but there's sin in all of our lives. And, and so, again, what is your knee jerk reaction? That's one thing, but do you fight that with, like, no, now I am a new creation? Now I am, I am working to love my brothers. I'm working to love my sister. I'm working to open my heart and, and live a life of sacrifice. And when we do this for each other, A, first of all, we all win. But then, the last part is this. The existence of love is confidence. This is a beautiful thing. 
The existence of love is confidence. Starting in verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For who, for whenever, or yes, sorry, for whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whenever we, whatever we ask, we shall receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, in God in him. And we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is, this is beautiful. John, he kind of comes out swinging in this part of his letter going like, hey, hey, racism, stop it. Stop hating each other. Stop having murder in your heart, you guys. Love. And then he says, don't close your heart. If you're able to help, do it. But when you do this, when you live this out, you can have a confidence before God that you are in the truth and confidence before God is the greatest thing that we can have on this side of heaven. See, confidence before God gives us true peace in our lives and peace in our hearts. Confidence before God gives us joy, an unending joy, and undescribed joy. Joy when our circumstances around us says that we should not have joy. Peace. Peace when our circumstances around us say we should not have peace. And I'm not saying you're happy all the time. I'm not saying there's not mourning and sorrows in our lives, but even in the midst of that, that we can have joy and we can have a confidence before God. And John's writing this and he says, look, if this is how you live, you can be confident before God. And I love what he says here. Even if your heart condemns you. In another translation, it says, even if your conscience condemns you. Like, as I'm preparing this, and I'm, as I was reading through this, as I was going through the commentary, I'm like, man, I have messed this up so much. Maybe you're sitting here this morning going, man, I've got some hatred in my heart. I have shut my heart. I've closed it down. And there's a, a, a condemnation that you feel in your heart going, man, God, I can't even go before you. I shouldn't even be here. And it's amazing. What John says is like, look, even when your heart condemns you, man, don't worry about that. God's love is greater. God is greater than condemnation. Now, conviction in our heart, you know, we need to address something, and we need to deal with something, and we need to walk through that and deal with it. But it come the other side of that, man, we have a peace and a joy before God. And John says, look, you, you can stand before God with confidence. And that is, that is kind of the point of this whole thing. Kind of the point of this whole letter that John is writing. Look, there's false teaching. There's all this stuff going on. Am I saved? Am I not saved? I don't really know. How can I tell? How can I know? John's like, you want confidence? Love your brother. Open up your heart. Sacrifice. You can have a confidence before God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that 
you gave us the greatest example of love. And in all honesty, it's not an example of love. It is the foundation. It is love that you laid down your life for us when we didn't deserve it, when we couldn't repay you, when there was nothing in it for you other than a restored relationship with us, that you laid down your life on behalf of us. God, I pray that that example would ring so true and so loud in our souls that we would be willing to lay down our lives for each other. That we would be willing to lay down our lives for our brothers. That we would stop hating. God, that we would even stop tolerating. And that we would start loving our brothers. God, that our hearts would be open to the needs of people around us. And that we would stop dictating our lives through convenience and individualism. But God, we would allow your truth to permeate our hearts and, and, and joyfully, God, live a life of self-sacrifice. God, as we do this, I pray, God, that we would be confident before you, Lord, that even when we don't feel like we are worthy to come before you, even when we feel like, man, I've screwed up too much to even come before God, to come to church, to pray, to read my word. Like, I need to give it some time so he's not all angry with me anymore. No, God, that we would see that that is the lie. And the truth is that we can be confident before you, even when our heart condemns us. Lord, as we begin to live this way, I pray, God, that it would infect our community. And that that true ethic of love God would spread through our communities God and that people would come to know you we love you Jesus and we thank you